So being here on retreat, being on retreat is not not easy. At least not easy all the time. But what um, what is very fascinating for me is that we actually we do nothing. You know, like we sit and we walk. It's like, is there something that is less threatening <laughs> than that? <laughs> People cook for us. Uh, we have our own room. Uh, you know, it, you would think you know that it would be particularly uh, pleasant. You know, <laughs> just you just ask us, can you sit? Oh, half an hour. It's not it used to be forty-five minutes on the schedule. It's half an hour. Can you sit half an hour? Yeah. Can you walk? Thirty, forty minutes. If you want, if you don't want to walk, you can even have tea. You know? It's pretty simple, no? And but yet we're sitting for many of us in the middle of our psyche, you know. And this this is a really complex little world in there. It behaves in all kinds of ways. And, uh, yeah, I'm fascinated by this all the time. Like, I go, I sit and I'm like, God, I'm just sitting. Why is, does it become so epic, you know? Debating about, should I be here, somewhere else? And confronted with stuff from the past and the future. And like the mind to behave in a certain way, but it goes in another direction. You know, same thing walking. Not all the time, but regularly enough. Um, and at the same time, uh, thinking of one time I went to sit a retreat, and in the little form that you filled, the first question was, uh, "Why do you want to sit this retreat?" You know, and I remember writing, because no one will do this for me. You know, like I. The, I'd the only <laughs> if I could give the job to somebody, <laughs> I would gladly even probably pay to save money <laughs> to pay somebody to <laughs> to do this. But no, you know, I have to. It seems like I have to do this. Of course, there's other modalities for healing. You know, this is one of them. Uh, so, um, <coughs> yeah. Pretty confronting, it can be for sure. Mm. There's a few things that I want to talk about, so it's probably going to be. I'm going to try to make links, and maybe I will uh, fail miserably. <laughs> um, I'll try to talk a little bit about that aspect. Uh, oh, did you still have your... Yeah? Would you want to... Burning. Burning. Oh, the ways to uh, work with them, no? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is, for me, this is, oh, yeah, so reflecting, meditating, maybe. Reflecting is using thinking, and meditating is just feeling, the, getting to know the feeling itself, like without having to think about it, getting to know what is a friendly mind. That's meditation for me. 
third, second. <laughs> there was one which was uh, your actions. So let this, uh, let the principles of meta friendliness of care uh, inform your actions, your speech. So that's one. Yeah. So reflection, thinking about, meditating, experiencing directly, and acting on. These are the three. Reflecting or yeah. contemplating. Yeah, I use it synonymously. Um, what I wanted to ask if you could uh, mention a few examples, like live examples, how you would do it when something happens. In action. Yeah. yeah. Like, what would happen yeah. in your head or yeah. in yeah. your mind? Yeah. So these three ways, you know, so meditating, learning to experience it directly when there's the presence of kindness or generosity, something of that nature, you know. So this, the reflecting, thinking about, inviting uh, our thinking process to reflect about kindness and the effects of it. And one of the ways to think also about it is, is to do a comparison between thinking about the benefits of uh, friendliness and loving kindness and the dangers of hatred, which is the opposite. Uh, you know. There's classic list, I didn't bring it, but they say that, uh, for example, reflecting that when we're in uh, anger or in uh, hatred particularly, often we will forget what is true and what is not. You're always like this, you've always been like this. Nuances are out of the window. You know, there's no more nuance. It's always like this. It's always like that. You know, so this we forget that our uh, words and action can have consequences when we're <coughs> under the spell of hatred. You know, so we'll do something. We might even forget that some are, some things are illegal by law. You know, to actually cut somebody in the street or you know, do something, push somebody. Or I mean, it could go really far. And so we can. That's a way to reflect about it classic old, thousands of years old, think about the dangers of hatred and think about the benefits of uh, kindness. When kindness usually allows for nuances to come in, you know, is, uh, brings, is healing. He heals wounds, wounds, heals discord between people. Uh, so this, this, what I mean by reflecting is using the thinking mind and in action. So you want an example of in uh, in action. There's several ways it can uh, it can uh, play out, but one of the ways that I would uh, invite us to practice, and this would be kind of meditation, but in action. Anytime somebody's particularly kind or slightly kind, or there's kindness in the field that you're offering or somebody else offering, tune in, be attentive. It's amazing how the impacts it has. One regular thing for me is I go to pay for something at the store and I'm looking for the 10 cents or the 5 cents and it seems like I'm taking forever. That's how it appears to me. You know, and there's a line and stuff. And the person that is just waiting and they're actually patient, they're not like, you know, they're not giving any of these body languages. They're just... Uh, and one that was outstanding for me is last time I think I was coming here we stopped at the bank 
to uh, I stopped at the bank to make a deposit and I had these rolls of five cents and ten cents and twenty five cents and as I pour my rolls out there's one that knocks the counter and just explodes you know <laughs> and so the five cents go running everywhere and I'm like all like oh my god you know. Uh, and the person at the other side of the counter just said, I can't even remember what it was, but it was just one little sweet thing that made everything okay, you know? Like, she made a little joke that was just just a perfect little thing showing that she cared and it was fine, you know? And I remember, as I really got it. I was like, wow, this is kindness in action. This makes everything okay now, you know? It relaxes me, relaxes her, relaxes somebody that might be behind the line, you know. And then we, and then it's fun. We gather the five cents, you know. And so, one practice is to notice that's very much in line with the teachings of the Buddha, particular sutta, the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, how to practice mindfulness. He would say, be attentive when this mind state is there internally or externally. Notice the presence of this. Notice the absence of it when it's not there. Wake up to it. Not just be in the effects, like lost in the fact that somebody is like being nasty to you, but wake up to it. Like, wow, nastiness feels like this. This is what it create. It creates tensions in, in me, tension in me. So that's maybe one one of the many ways. Another way could be to be very intentional, you know, to actually direct the attention in some way. I don't know, I walk on the street, somebody's begging, and my wallet is kind of far in my backpack or something, or it's cold, I, you know, and to actually, I mean, that's just one opportunity amongst other, and sometimes it's not the right time, or but to actually stop, like, hey, actually I have a few minutes, and I do have change, you know, with... with that feel like you know, to go explore that that's one version I mean we can do this with emails before sending just checking was 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 there kindness in there was there respect you know was there if there's you know and sometimes I'm like I reread quickly you know like oh can probably remove the little edge here in the wording <laughs> that creeped in with my lack of attention, you know, in my slight reactivity and self-righteousness or something. You know. uh, so it, it might involve slowing down regularly, like slowing down. What what am I doing here? What am I what am I what am I about to say or do? You know. And we could probably all have several examples of uh, of this inaction. Yeah, I, you know, talking on the phone. Sometimes I'm, uh, I'm on the internet at the same time as I'm on the phone, and at some point I notice, and it's a kind thing to do is to actually flip down the cover of my laptop and just tune in, really, you know. And I can feel right away when I do this; it's for my benefit. And the other version is half there, a little impatient, a little, you know. And suddenly it's like, oh, there's self-respect and there's respect for the other there. So there's probably many places. And it's not about being a nice person. Maybe I could say this. It's not about being nice. Like, I want to be nice. And it's not about this. It's, uh, it's deeper than this, you know. And sometimes kindness and compassion is not nice. Sometimes it's much more 
clear, like uh, making boundaries, you know, very clear boundaries. You can be very generous to say some, someone, actually, I want you to know that this doesn't work for me, you know, without the abuse that could be there, just the clarity of no. One uh, of my teachers, Kamala Masters, I remember her describing this. She was in a shopping mall and somebody was abusing somebody else. And she said she went in and just like really strong advice, you know, and with probably a, a few harsher words in there. And she said, I, sh- I just in- intervene like really clearly, cleanly, strongly, you know. It's like not exactly like me, but on the other side, I was like, wow, this was not hatred. This was a really really clear intention to protect everybody, the abuser and the abused, you know. And although the intervention was really strong, she said, on the other side, I could feel there was really a lot of clarity about this, you know. And it was not like, hey, please. It was like, hey, you stop this now, you, you know, whatever. You know. (laughs) So, but that's tricky, you know. One has to really check in, you know. Yeah. And, um, The form it takes for me these days as being a kind of a authority in some way, you know, like I, there's the organization True North and, you know, with the students and there's, you know, there's some amount of projection and, and things happening. So a, a, a job that I'm finding out I have now is to actually, when somebody uh, is triggered in some way by something I did or said, I really have to really slow down and listen really well to their needs, and they need to be heard really well, you know. So I cannot, in, I feel that in my position now, if that's the right way to say this, I can't uh, gloss over things or fix things really quickly or dismiss, you know. I, I mean, I might still do this some, but my sense now is like, oh, something I'd like, I have a voice and it, Carries, you know, in the, you know, being, I'm the only one facing this way now. Like there's a, there's a symbol in that, you know. Like so, so there's a. I feel like it's my job, my responsibility. So there's something of kindness in in there. Like it's mixed with other things, you know, a sense of responsibility and things. So, you know, being aware of my privilege, responsibility, and. That's one way that one way that it shows for me. Does that help a little bit? Yeah. Before, while, and after. Mm-hmm. You know, after reflecting. Oh, what was that? What happened there? Was, was that suffused with love? Oh, maybe not exactly. <laughs> you know, being very humble, which maybe is going to lead me to something that I actually want to talk about and might uh, mean something to you. Uh, earlier, when we were talking about equanimity, so one of the things that one of the one of the deep understanding that will help equanimity come uh, is the the whole. Um, bring clarification maybe that's a way to, to insight around self and not self and the way we appropriate own things um, 
And so in this practice, my sense is, as we pay attention more and more to what's happening, we notice that it's more and more, we notice that it's less and less personal. There are movements inside of us happening, you know, what we call often conditionings, you know. So the mind tends to go in that direction of reactivity, of shutting down, of self-blaming, of judging. And the more we pay attention, the less it seems so personal. It's not so much me. It happens inside this being, but it's not like I do this. I don't do this. I want to be kind. But I, there's there's something else that, there's a reactivity that makes me say, makes me do. And so my understanding of this is that it's less I cannot blame myself and hate myself for something it's not so much me but so I go away from the extreme I hope I'm going to be clear with this I'm moving away from the extreme of self-blame and self-loathing and blaming myself and guilt etc I'm moving away from this and I'm not falling into irresponsibility. Ah, it's not me, it's just, it was like this in me, so I spoke, you know. There's a great sense of responsibility. So it's what I think of as the middle path. It's between the extreme of blaming and guilting and the extreme of irresponsibility, those being two extremes. And right in the middle, there's a recognition of what's happening and the recognition that it needs to be... Uh, you know, one needs to take really great care of what's happening inside the mind. You know, it's not exactly me what's happening inside the mind. The dejection, the, even the joy, the love, the it's not so much me. These are things that happen in nature, in psyches. You know, I'm not the only one who experiences generosity. You know, it's, it's a natural factor or element of life. It's in nature, generosity. When it's there, it's good if there is a lot of mindfulness and it can be recognized as wholesome, worthy, beneficial for me and for others. In the same way when there's impatience, harshness, the desire for vengeance, for having somebody pay for something they did, or if that, that is there, I really want to wake up to this. I, I want to have mindfulness of this so that I don't act on this. And if it happens, I don't have to hate myself. I can say, oh, this was actually harmful. This was not a beautiful way to behave. This was not a helpful way to be. So what I've noticed in my own life now, of course it's a work in progress, but more and more I'm able to do some things I I couldn't do, is take responsibility for things. It's much more easier now because it doesn't mean anything about me. It's like somebody comes and says, you said that, this was harsh. Moment, let me look at this. This was really harsh. It's true. It was really harsh. It doesn't mean anything about me, but it was really done. Do you see what? And so I can say, wow, this. Was, how can we fix this? Because this was off. The way I spoke over there was was not helpful. Was not good. It was not considerate. There was a lack of consideration. Things I could never say before because it meant something about me. It meant I was unconsiderate. And now there can be. Oh, there was a lack of consideration. It was there. It was happening. What do we do to fix it? This is so liberating. When we talk about the Buddhist path being liberating, enlightenment, uh, waking up, to me, this is exactly what it, that's one of the things it means. Being able to recognize, oh, 
in the same way, if there is generosity, I always use the same example because I think they work. If there is generosity and I start owning it, I'm so generous. There's, there's something is perturbed in there. There's something that is not helpful. I define myself by something. I start to own something. Then somebody comes and they say, you are not so generous. That, and I'm like, no. Cognitive dissonance. I'm so generous. I'm generous. <laughs> this is me. I'm like that. No, generosity comes and goes, and we can recognize maybe that it's there often, or anything else that is wholesome, you know. But uh, any of these qualities, or any of these uh, difficult mind states that create trouble for ourselves and others, are not ours. None of them are. But we can clearly recognize that they're there sometimes, and sometimes they're not there. They can be invited in, you know. And so, to me, this helps bring equanimity. So if somebody says, I didn't like when you said that, if I didn't have that deep understanding that we're talking about, I don't have to identify <coughs> with words, or then I can relax you know, and say, let's look at this seriously. That's important. Something happened, somebody was hurt, let's look at if it was intentional or not, or from a lack of something, or too much of something. you know, And then I might be possible, oh yeah, there was such a desire to get this that actually unconsciously I corrected reality, like I changed reality because I so wanted this I so wanted to keep this image going of myself that I actually lied a little bit here, there was lying it was motivated conditions it was motivated by a fear of losing something oh God, it's true there was I don't have to go back home and hate myself for it. I can recognize, oh, this, this is the chain of event. There was a desire to get something, and there was the willingness to actually change reality, describe reality in a different way to get that thing. This is, this is not helpful. Equanimité en français, on utilise le même mot, mais aussi uh, ça pourrait être le mot discernement, Dis discernment. That could be a kind of a synonym, like a capacity to understand deeply what is happening. So, do you follow me a little bit with the guilt tripping thing? So, avoiding guilt tripping. Now, this can be applied to somebody else. Aha. And that's the challenge there, to not identify a person with their actions, to be able to say, this was really, really harmful. This might not be completely you, but this, these words, these actions were really harmful. They're not okay. You know? So in the process of forgiveness, because we mentioned it a little bit here today, and of course, we're going to be a little bit in that field this weekend, because you know, we want to send uh, kindness and there's some people it's hard for us to do so because there's resentment, hurt, you know, shutting down around them. And so one of the reflections, thinking about that we can do is to think, is it possible to actually kind of uh, loosen the fusion between the person and the actions, to recognize that sometimes I act in ways, say things, it's not exactly me, but the actions themselves, the words themselves, can be harmful. But maybe the person is much more complex, wide than that, can change, uh, you know, 
And when we look at this, sometimes we'll see that the mind clinging to an event will actually won't allow, in this reactivity, won't allow a broader view of a certain person, you know, of a person. It will kind of zoom in that, define them by an action. And kind of like, it does that, like in perception, it will avoid, it won't be able to see other things about a person. It will like, kind of put it out, you know, like not consider this. And so in reflection, in kind reflection, we can say, so what's good about this person? What can I, how can I bring back these things that I tend to not see about them, you know? So, in the same, I mean, you can do the same way when you fall in love. It can be good to say, what am I not seeing here in perfection? <laughs> it would be good to name it now, early on, instead of, you know, having them pay for being who they are later. <laughs> it's like, okay, what? And you can do this with a friend. Let me tell you something <laughs> I really don't want to see about <laughs> kind of naming the shadow side, but also naming the beautiful side when we're angry about somebody. So, like, broadening our view, you know, uh, that can be uh, helpful. Images that can, uh, or stories that can help around this, uh, a few of them come from. Uh, Again, Jack is really good with everything of, of the heart, you know, and forgiveness and all this. Two examples. You can try this with eyes closed if you want this reflection or however you want. But just think, imagine yourself coming out of um, the grocery and you have uh, two big bags uh as you're going towards in the parking lot towards uh, your car or a friend's car or something and uh, you're walking in the parking lot with your bags and in your bags you have like orange juice and soy milk and eggs and mayo in a glass jar and, <laughs> and somebody knocks you and you drop your bags and like everything goes flying half of the stuff is broken your reaction, instant reaction, might be a reaction of anger. Hey, you, like some some word there, like you know. And then, as you turn and look, you notice that this person is actually uh, blind right now, and they're, uh, you know, they were just doing the best, and you might not have been so <laughs> yourself aware of what was going on, reading your texts as you were walking, <laughs> and automatically, when you understand that. This is conditional. It's not, you know, what happened? Like, there's an in, instantly you're like, oh God, are you okay? Are you, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You take it on suddenly. Like, I'm so sorry, and you help the person. You know. So, when we understand more deeply cause and conditions, we might be able a little bit to see how the person doing what they did to us, they were probably blinded by something the desire to get something, thinking that their happiness, you know, was going to be only if they could get this from you, or, you know, or in their, blinded by their confusion and fear, and, you know, some something like this. And you might see this in yourself, too, that, oh, why did I do, do this stupid thing 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know? What was there? There was some state of mind that was leading the show, you know. There was a lack of deep wisdom, maybe a lack of clarity about what was what. 
which led you to speak or do something. Another image, another little story. It's kind of similar. Uh, you are, um, you know, in the city, sometimes there's a little lake and you can rent a boat or something. You're in a boat anyway. It's summer, it's beautiful. And uh, you just lay down in the boat that you rented to get some sun just for a couple of minutes. <coughs> and you're resting there, eyes closed, and then a boat knocks you. And you get all like, again, as last week in the grocery, <laughs> coming out of the grocery store, you get all worked up, you know, and you look, and this image goes a little further. So you notice suddenly that it's another boat that hit you, but there's nobody in the boat. There's no one in the boat. It's just, it untied. The conditions were such that <coughs> the wind brought it this way, and boom, there was no one there that did that. In the Buddhist practice, it, the, this image is the deepest one. In the, it's like we recognize that there's not even a person there. There's just millions of conditions, you know, that were brought together, and and so we even fall away from the notion of a person per se. Uh, so it's a tricky one. It's, it has a lot of depth. It might not be able possible to understand this this year, you know. <laughs> But uh, there's something about it uh, that I find goes deeper. You know, in the teaching we say, uh, for example, you read things like, there is suffering, but no one who suffers. There is nirvana, but no one who enters. There's just... So many con- there's the experience of pain, the experience of confusion. I'm I'm bringing you really very deep into the Buddhist uh, thoughts and considerations, but and this is only accessible through meditation. We say, Ajahn Shah would say, if you think about this, your brain will crack. <laughs> you can't actually think this through. It's by a really close attention, refined, calm, balanced attention to reality that you start to notice that this, these are not your hands. They're, there's hands there. They're really felt, but you can't really say they're yours because they're just made of tingling that passes. That there is all these emotions coming in, but they're not exactly you because sometimes they're gone. They're not there. and You seem to still be there. That there's a consciousness in the middle of this. There is some, there is a knowing. There is a consciousness, but you can't really absolutely claim this. This goes far. Can you really claim this? You, you find yourself in the middle of being conscious. There's a regular kind of daily way of like, this is me. This is me doing this. This is me doing. But if you look very closely, who, who lifts the arm in the yoga room? You know. Yeah, it's you. But it's funny that everybody lifts at the same time just after Karina said, lift your arm, you know. It's conditional. Why do you lift your arm? Because the conditions are right for you to lift your arm. Why do you stand at the end of the meditation? So you stand, but it's funny that you stand at the same time as everybody when the bell rings, you know. You know, it's 
And you could say, oh, I could not stand. But if you didn't stand, what would make you stay? The desire to stay longer. You know? What makes you think? What makes you uh, talk? What makes you do what you do? Most of the time, it's, this, it's a state of mind. It's hunger that makes you go towards the fridge. It's uh, some sensations that make you go towards the toilet. It's, there's always there's something... There's not much that you'll find if you look well that is not conditional. In retreat, it's a good time to slow down and see this. If you're hungry, and there's a fork, and there's a broccoli on the fork, chances are you're going to suddenly have the intention to go towards your mouth. Because the conditions are gathered for you to have suddenly the intention of doing this, you know why we pay a lot of attention to what's happening is to find out who's leading the show. It's never exactly you, it's a mind state. In the Buddhist thought, we say it's preferable if who's leading the show is generosity, kindness, clarity, discernment, equanimity, the whole list, I can give it to you. Curiosity, investigation, wanting to understand, all wholesome qualities of mind. It's better that they lead the show than confusion, reactivity, fear, uh, because these will make you say and do things, will make others say and do things. Greed. Greed is this misunderstanding where you think that having a certain thing will make you happy when your happiness doesn't depend on that thing, you know, that you can't actually totally control and won't be totally satisfying anyway when you get it because it can't. You know. I'm going kind of quick. <laughs> this is crazy. Um, do you, is there some little something in there that you can like, whoa, that's far out, but still a little something that you can recognize. So you might say like, so who's mindful? Mindfulness is mindful. Love loves. Fear fears. Uh, and so, things being conditional here, we notice that the more there is attention, the more we get to know what is what, and maybe there's an opening for choice. Maybe I won't go there. Maybe I won't act on this. I'll act on something else. You know. So, who makes the decision? Sometimes it's discernment. Sometimes it's confusion. We would really much like if it was discernment deep understanding you know because that usually creates less trouble and more uh, better for us and for others stress uh, reducing yeah so I remember one young person at the retreat was asking me you know Pascal sometimes like I'm so cool and friendly and generous with my friends and sometimes I'm so uptight and self-righteous and ju- which one am I well, in, in, in Buddhist uh, thought, you get rid of it completely. It's, it's irrelevant. You're neither one or the other. Some uh, attitudes, uh, forces in the mind, energies are helpful, and some are not. And the job in this practice is just to notice which one are which one. Abandon the ones that are not helpful and nurture the ones that are helpful. This is what at some point you call personality. They're so kind, they're so... Some forces are more at play than others. 
and some people impatience has been trained more you know and so it makes the personality a little like that you know is it really them it's just the conditions were brought like this you know and it doesn't remove the f- the sense of responsibility we are definitely responsible no one else will do this job of clearing the heart so um The result of mindfulness, we say the result of inside, the result of paying attention, is the opening of the heart. And I like that on the path, we, we bring the result early on. You know, the result of the friendliness, we bring it in on the path. So the result is, the, the path is the expression of the result, like they're kind of mixed together. And a couple of years ago, I keep coming back to Jack for some reason every time I teach the Metta Retreat. Uh, Jack Cornfield, some of you might know him, listen to him sometimes, or read him. And so, uh, I think a couple of years ago, I had the chance to teach a month-long retreat with uh, Jack. And uh, at some point in one of the talks like this, he said, this is somebody who's been teaching for 40 years, or for more maybe one of the most revered Western teachers. And so he was saying, uh, for like 30 years or so, we really thought that mindfulness will do it. You know, paying very close attention (coughs) to mindfulness. We really thought for 30 years, we thought it would uh, do the job. And it's maybe in the last 10 years, it's become really clear to us that it would need love. It would need friendliness that mindfulness alone was not going to succeed. When somebody with such experience says that, you really want to listen and consider these words, you know. And uh, and actually during this whole retreat, I don't think he really used the word mindfulness. I think that every time he was talking about paying attention, he would always say, bring your loving awareness. Bring your loving awareness to what's here now. Bring your loving awareness. So that's a big shift there. So that's a lot of what we're doing here this weekend, is we're bringing loving... I don't say loving a lot, because for me, I kind of shrink from love. It's somehow, it seems too grandiose for me. Friendliness works really well for me. That's why I've used it some. But you have your own words, you know. Sometimes... uh, I like also to notice that my mind is uh, available. To me, it's a kind of a disponibilité. En Québécois, pour les Québécois dans la salle, mon esprit d'adon has goodwill to it. You know, it's like it's it's available. To it's not like closed. It's it's just and it's not like ah, I love everything. It's just open, like kind of ordinarily open, you know. And I like to notice this. Oh, the absence of reactivity would be a way to talk about this. Oh, there's an absence of reactivity. It's not defended, guarded, uh, 
ready to lash out, you know, or you know, looking for trouble, feeling in a hostile world, you know, it's just like kind of straight in a way, just available. This to me is extremely awesome, can be missed, you know, and is there a lot. All these qualities, another t- teacher in Thailand, Ajahn Buddhadasa, would say, you know, we would not have survived if it was all these qualities were not there a lot of the time. So it's not like, oh, I wish one day. No, no, you already are. It might be good to notice it, you know, more. I hope I didn't create a lot of confusion about my self, no self uh, thing. It's a very different way to understand the world, you know where we take for granted that I'm there, it's me, it's me. But the more we sit, the more it's like, God, this happens to me. These thoughts happen to me. You know, they don't seem to be exactly me. They, they land in me <laughs> often, you know. Or I move, you know, this emotion is not exactly me. It happens to me. And the more we look, the harder it is to actually pinpoint with what is the me in there. Because at some point we notice that there's a knowing quality of consciousness there's something that knows that is right there in the middle and this too at some point when I get quiet it's like oh, there's a knowing it's kind of a factor of mind there's a knowing, it's there it's like I cannot even shut it down if it was me or mine I could do something with it but it just keeps knowing you know? and it's like oh, this maybe is of the public domain as somebody says you know, this knowing between each eye is there. has a personal story to it, personal unfolding in a way, but there's something that might be very basic there. That Why do I talk about this? Because the more we see this, the less we take things personally, which is our main problem. We take it personally. There was a whole other story I wanted to tell you. It's kind of unrelated. Is there any questions about what was said? Or maybe I... Yes? I'm trying to figure out where the choice fits into all of this. Yeah. Because um, the way you're speaking, it's almost as if these are people that say things, doing things, acting on things through causes and conditions. It's not their choice. So do we have any choice on anything? Yeah. It's a good question. It's to pay attention and see if we do or not. My sense is choice happens when there's a... I mean, if there is... One of the places where choice can happen is when there is a mindfulness to me. When I'm aware of what's going on, I can decide to actually not uh, react or say things in a habitual way. You know, A lot of the time, actually, I don't think we have so much choice because we're just going from one habit to the next, you know, and just what we learn, what we, you know, things are unquestioned, and I usually shut down, so I shut down. You know, I usually give the cold shoulder when this kind of thing happens, so I give the cold sh- shoulder, you know. I, and some of the habits are really wholesome, actually, but they still are not chosen often, you know. I just tend to help when help is needed, you know. It can be good to become conscious of this, you know, that this. So I think, like, it's not like everything is predetermined. 
And it's not like there's absolute uh, free will. I think it's again this middle path that we talk about a lot in Buddhism. It's like these would be two extreme views. You totally choose. Is, does that represent your experience, that you totally chose, choose everything you say and do and think and feel? It certainly doesn't represent my experience. You know, is everything predetermined? I don't recognize this either. One of the as, one of the ways choice can be made is through wisdom, through a deep considering what's happening and what would be of benefit, what would be the best way to act here. You know, this is this factor of wisdom can slow things down and open choices. You know. So it's a tricky, like, it's kind of like uh, somewhere in there, you know, between the extremes, you know. So yes, there's choices, and yes. It's like dialectics and synthesis of the position. Sorry? It's like dialectics, two things can exist at the same time, and then trying to synthesize them, trying to find them. Ah, maybe. I mean, you would know. I, I don't know the theory around this. <laughs> okay. So here, what we're doing is we're trying to uh, give the driver's seat to beautiful qualities. Basically, that's how you could understand this. We're trying to put in the driver's seat stability of mind, caring, attention, consideration, considering. So that you agree maybe with what is presented or not. Maybe there's something of value that you can recognize there. Like, oh yeah, we're trying to give more space, airtime, uh, lead to certain qualities. You know, so that's that's how I understand what we're doing here. So we're creating the conditions to bring in qualities of mind that will be helpful for us and for others. Courage, honesty. You know, we're not. Uh, Training denial here, avoidance. Uh, uh, you know, we're we're trying all the beautiful qualities. In the Buddhist psychology, is very clear. There's a long, longer list of beautiful qualities actually than the list of uh, difficult mind states and factors, which is very different psychology than the Western psychology. You know, where mm-hmm. everything kind of turns around pathology and difficulties, mm-hmm. and so. In, uh, it seems like the Buddhist psychology has developed an amazing way to uh, study and to know the beautiful qualities of mind. You know, and it's not about uh, magic thinking. You know, like it's not about this. It's about knowing that, for example, one of the things we do. I talked about this in one group. You might recognize this here. Is here we're balancing uh, different kinds of energy. The calming. Energy and the energizing energy, I don't know I, qualities, let's call it. So, as we pay attention again and again through the phrases, through the either the receptive or em, em, emission kind of meta that I talked about, what we develop anyway uh, is calm, concentration, equanimity, known as calming factors. And what we're developing also is energy, enthusiasm. Uh, Curiosity, connection, engagement with reality. So it's amazing way to live to actually have both calming qualities in the mind available and 
energizing uh, qualities. And you can see this when there's an imbalance. You're like, oh my God, oh my God, you're overthinking, overthinking, you know? You're like, oh, I need to actually bring some calm in. Or if there's a lot of calm, like you sit here, you sit here, you feel the breath. (laughs) You go like this. This is not a good mind to actually learn, uh, achieve things, be in relationships. uh, (laughs) You know, a good mind to be in relationship is a mind that is collected, gathered, present, and alive, curious about what's happening, not rejecting. Even imagine in a conflict, being in a conflict and having a kind of mind like this that has calm, is able to really read the, oh, we really don't understand each other right now, you know. How curious, how interesting is that? This is what you're understanding in what I'm saying. Oh, this doesn't go through. Imagine a mind like this. This is what we're developing here, the capacity to be engaged in life and gathered, stable, calm. So, if you don't buy into like the no-self thing that I'm describing, maybe you'll buy into this, like, oh, I want that. That is a nice way to live. Everything we do here, every time I say, pay attention as you sit, pay attention as you walk, be really there as you drink tea, eat, rest in your room, brush teeth, bring this, bring this, everywhere you can, you'll bring it to the next place after, where you really want to be, or where you really need these qualities, because you lose it, you know, or or sink in, you know, or collapse, you know. So that's what we're doing here. These, uh, yesterday I was talking a little bit about the Brahma Viharas, these four qualities, I'll name them again. It's a really beautiful set of four. Here again, four beautiful qualities of mind. So, and some of them go in different lists. And so this this one list has equanimity in it, has friendliness or metta, loving kindness, compassion, and the capacity to rejoice. And together, this is the description of a heart that has uh, been cleared of the confusion of the difficult visiting forces, you know, of greed, hatred, envy, confusion. When this goes away, we say naturally the heart is responsive. Naturally it's balanced. Naturally it's caring. Naturally it's caring when it's difficult, compassion. Naturally it's caring when it's in meets success or good fortune, uh, rejoicing you know, in what's happening. So these qualities, they they work really well together. They help each other. If you had only equanimity, you could have be a little bit flat. But by bringing love in, it engages. You know, uh, by bringing compassion in, it invites you in the field, the battlefield of the of the difficult. So you don't shy away from that. That your compassion allows you to actually have care and friendliness, even when conditions are not good. You know which is an amazing thing. We really need this in life. If there was only these three, that would be one thing. There would be something missing, something about the beauty and the joy. You know, you could get totally fascinated by suffering. The world is suffering, climate change, and oppression, and that's the only thing happening, and, you know, my bad relationship, <laughs> you know, and be just, like, kind of stuck in that world. But this quality of rejoicing, mudita, invites you to say, hey, 
what else is happening also? What beauty is there? Oh, nature is there right now. Oh, connection, generosity is there, success for this, these people, you know, so that the whole range of the world is welcomed in. So that's part of our job uh, in mindfulness is to notice what is good, but not just that, because that would be a kind of a either exuberance like not wanting to, no, it's fun, it's good, everything is good, and kind of fear and denial, that wouldn't work, you know. You don't want to be just somebody who can rejoice, you know. That's there's something missing there, you know. So in the practice here this weekend, that's what we're developing: the capacity to appreciate what is appreciable, you know. Be touched by nature, be touched by the humanity, the courage in humanity, the showing up, the honesty, the whatever it is, you know. Think of the people you love and think, oh, I love these qualities, and the capacity to appreciate beautiful qualities in others, to see them, to catch them as they're in operation. You know, look at that. This is generous. Rejoicing in that. You know? And then the capacity to meet what is difficult also. Is the notion of gratitude? Yeah, so appreciate, gratitude, that's in the field, you know, of that area. Mm -hmm. Gratitude is recognizing what's good in oneself and others in situations. Yeah. It's a very beautiful quality. It's called, the word in Pali is mudita, mudita, the capacity to rejoice. And uh, the word, I like mudita because it sounds happy. And we say, that, I think it's the Dalai Lama, he says, if you develop mudita, the capacity to rejoice in the happiness of other people, for example, your odds of experiencing joy are multiplied by the number of people on the earth, you know? <laughs> so you, you gain access to an infinite pool of joy if you can rejoice. The enemy, what we call the enemy of uh, this quality, is envy. You know, comparing, but I don't get it, you know. And so, not to judge oneself, but to recognize, oh, maybe there's another way, maybe it's not an easy one to, to feel, but we can invite this, be interested in that quality, rejoicing in the joy of others. The classic kind of equivalent of metaphrases is like, I'm happy for your happiness. May your happiness increase and never cease. May your good fortune increase and never wane, or something very like that. You know, so we can practice like this. If you if you think of some some, sometimes it's uh, compared to uh, the parent who's um, who's experiencing their uh, young child discovering creativity, engaging with the world in a fun, you know creating things like drawings on the wall of the house or <laughs> 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 things like just engaging with things discovering the world and, and so the joy that the, the parent would feel you know like oh my god you know this kid is discovering this particular thing you know and so the joy of that the compassion uh, the compassion is linked to a, a parent uh, attending to a sick child, you know, wishing for their well-being. You know. The equanimity is compared to, and is an image of a, a 
grandparents watching uh, kids in the playground, you know, uh, maybe having a fight, a little fight, mm-hmm. you know, and the kind of like knowing that, you know, it's not that dramatic, you know. So the equanimity is this balance of mind of not getting so caught in things, you know, despair or clinging. And so these qualities, they really, they, uh, there's a synergy possible that where they enhance each other. You know, they make each other stronger by being together. And so, and these, they're called immeasurables in the teaching. This, the, the, in the psychology, we say th- these can be developed to an extent that we cannot even imagine. There can be an, such an amazing equanimity and sometimes we see it in people they're confronted with amazing difficulties and they're so stable it seems like some kind of grace in them that they can actually be there and be totally okay with the conditions that are makes you freak out just thinking about them uh, the Buddha was saying don't even try to think of the, the the capacity for this heart to love, you know, you don't, you can't even imagine the, the potential. You know. I was reading uh, the other day uh, a particular website where they're interested in the forgiveness. I don't know if it's a forgiveness project or something, and they they had intervie- they were interviewing people who had uh, in the inside the prison system who had where there had been cut forgiveness. I remember reading. Uh, a woman who had forgiven the killer of her mom, you know, uh, when she was a teen, her mom was uh, killed by a man, and the conversations between them and the, like, how she would describe it being completely impossible until one day something she heard, her mind just opened to the, she was like, I have to go look into this, like, it seems impossible, but somehow I have to go and the conditions were right for this to happen because the person at the other end of the drama had some softness in their heart, you know, and some something. Remember reading also uh, another story similar to this, uh, where the, the this woman had forgiven the killer of her husband, and this young kid was saying. I wish, like, this is a model for how I might, maybe, I, it seems impossible, but forgive myself for what I did, you know. But there's, it's the, I've seen a model now that it's possible to forgive, you know. So it's just amazing things. We cannot force these things, you know. We cannot, uh, this is extremely delicate ter- territory. But for our own healing, it's worth uh, looking into this. And so tonight, when we come back at the first sit this evening, we'll do a forgiveness practice. So if you want to, we'll explore this a little bit. What is the formal way to do forgiveness practice uh, here um, for self and for others also. Okay. So I hope somewhere in there there was a little something for you of uh, value. Okay. Bon appétit.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.